Welcome back to Making the Metaverse with me, Michael Carter. Making the Metaverse is presented by OnTheBlockchain.ca, Canada's fastest growing blockchain community. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what time of day you're listening. Uh, welcome to another episode of Making the Metaverse. My name is Michael, and I am so excited today because I've got pizza and blockchain topics together. <laughs> and we just passed uh, Bitcoin Pizza Day recently uh, um, on May 22nd, so it's really cool that we've got these two topics here. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Alex Hughes. Uh, who is a historian and researcher with expertise in analyzing trends and patterns. Uh, his doctoral work examined the commodification and culture of pizza in Toronto and Buffalo from 1950 to 1990. He ate over 700 slices of pizza during the process. More recently, he's published a report for eCampus Ontario titled Wallets, Passports, Portfolios, credentials, what learners want in a virtual education wallet. It's a real honor to have him on the show today. I'm super excited. I want to get chatting. Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me, Michael. Oh, it's I'm so excited. I can't wait to chat. Um, before we get into the tech piece, uh, tell us about pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so I am a cultural historian by training, and uh, I was looking for a unique transporter uh, topic uh, okay. for my dissertation. And I got into the cultural history of pizza, um, looking at the commodification of something that has become so ubiquitous with modern life. Um, but that wasn't always the case. Um, in 1950, it was uh, strange food confined to the mm. uh, to the lives of um, Italian immigrants, but eventually becomes this piece um, that is food for everyone. And it really is an interesting lens to explore histories of suburbanization, uh, eco economics, uh, politics, immigration, uh, business, and uh, urban cities. Huh. And um, why Buffalo also? Was it for comparative purposes? Yeah. So I was yeah. looking for um, two cities that were comparative, also close by. And what's most striking is that Buffalo and Toronto were actually rather similar cities mm -hmm. in 1950, uh, similar Italian um, populations, as well as overarching populations, uh, similar economic output. But ultimately, you know, Buffalo declines, becomes this Rust Belt city with mm -hmm. protracted population loss, and Toronto yeah. becomes multicultural metropolis, the economic and cultural center of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and along the way, pizza uh, is commoditized very differently in these two cities based on this economic uh, discrepancy. Huh. Wow. I uh, I grew up in Toronto and I ate a lot of pizza, I, but I don't know if I got to 700 slices. <laughs> Exercise was key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you uh do you do you uh remember um the great slices or the worst slices or is it all just a big uh big mess? There was some good, there was some bad, and there was some ugly uh mixed in there. <laughs> um you know, things that don't belong on pizzas like uh pickled green beans. Do not say pineapple or the show's over. I'm a big fan of pineapple. <laughs> uh maraschino cherries don't oh, belong on pizza. Mm, yeah, I don't think um, so. There was some strange stuff along the way, wow. but 
all in the name of research. Oh, um, and uh, and so now you you uh, you've done this uh, this report recently, uh, and I'm curious. Um, did, was uh, is blockchain Web three any of that something that like has been part of your life before doing this report? Did you kind of like jump in as a a skilled researcher? How how did that happen? You know, I think I've always had an underlying interest in tech. Um, yeah. but it's never been a primary drive. Um, my big joke is that I went from working 50 years in the past to 10 huh. years in the future. Um, <laughs> I, you know, when I left academia, I was looking for a research home, but mm -hmm. also a research home that kind of felt relatable. Okay. And I found eCampus Ontario, uh, which is a consortium of Ontario's publicly assisted indigenous institutes, uh, colleges and universities. Mm -hmm and uh, really looks at, um, you know, improving digital by design, teaching and learning, um, and fostering a culture of collaboration across post-secondary institutions. Mm -hmm. And that felt like a good home for me. I, I spent, you know, 13 years in the post-secondary sector. Mm. So it, it was familiar research. Um, mm -hmm. The first few months um, when I started was a lot of learning. I have read so much to understand, you know, Web3, blockchain, um, credentialing, mm -hmm. um, even the concept of micro-credentials, which mm -hmm. I studied in the report was, you know, they're just emerging. Uh, yeah. That wasn't something that was there along my educational journey. Um, I have some teaching experience, but it really, you know, it was a lot of learning to uh, ultimately deliver this report. But mm -hmm. My core competencies as a researcher and especially as a cultural historian really led the way into this work. Mm. So um, what was the uh, data collection like? Who, who did you talk to? So it was all about talking to learners to understand their knowledge and perceptions of digital credentialing and virtual wallets. And what we did was we conducted both a survey and focus groups to directly speak to learners. And, you know, I think that's one of the very exciting pieces to come out of this research was mm. that it wasn't just all secondary. It was asking learners about their perceptions. Mm. Okay. And uh, was there a particular demographic you were looking at? Honestly, we cast a net. Uh, they just had to have been a learner who had completed the requirements of a micro-credential at an Ontario Indigenous Institute, college okay. or university. I see. Okay. And um, did you did you have other data on like other learning that they that they've taken as well, or did you just get the data like I took a micro-credential, yes, no, kind of thing? I collected some data just to see, yeah. um, you know, were these college, university, or Indigenous Institute learners what level of learner or what level of degree or certificate had they completed. What I discovered that most were, in our data collection at least, yeah. were of a, a younger traditional track student, so postgraduate, um, basically in that 23 to 35 range, mm -hmm. um, recent graduate who had then taken a micro-credential to you know, either reskill or upskill um, as they enter that workforce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I. Um... It seems to me anyways, that the micro-credential market is growing quickly. <laughs> uh, and again, you know, there was, you know, yes, the majority of our learners was that younger demographic, but there was also mm -hmm. late career individuals who, mm -hmm. you know, needed to reskill or upskill to, you know, continue, say, the last five to 10 years of their career. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
and uh what um one of the uh so this this whole this whole project or this research that you that you looked that you did was um looking at some way of managing these credentials in for, from different perspectives um and uh can you can you talk a little bit about about where that sort of emerged from this idea that uh there's a need to do that right like uh why why is there something separate that some new technique some new technology some new process like what's the sort of um the push behind that so as a historian, I'd like to go back to the past. Uh, so we'll start around 2011 um, when Mozilla launches their open badging system, which okay. was to serve as digital badges. And they were originally envisioned to be for things like your scuba certification would live mm -hmm. online. So you didn't have to carry a card in your wallet. Ah, okay. But education slowly started catching on to these as well. Um, they were for a while they were also being handed out if you attended a conference uh, mm -hmm. just to go on like your linkedin profile yeah but education saw these as a, a great way to um demonstrate learning from something like a micro credential something that is short quick packaged learning and is that you know that certification that you've been assessed and you've passed that course um you know when things like linkedin and all these MOOCs or uh, like the LinkedIn MOOCs mm -hmm. and Coursera started appearing, you know, there was that option to purchase a certificate, but mm -hmm. what do you do with a certificate? Yeah. Like where do your diplomas and certificates go? Not mm -hmm. all of us have that wall space. Um, yeah. Where do you stick it in a storage locker? Does it go in a filing folder? Mm -hmm. And when you need to produce that, are you sending, you know, a photocopy, a yeah. crummy iPhone image of it? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the pandemic really enhanced this need for digital credentialing when learners were on their own journey. You know, they weren't necessarily at an institution every day and able to mm -hmm. walk to the registrar's office yeah. and request a transcript. Um, learners were taking courses at multiple institutions or, you know, you're taking a, a micro credential solely online. You may never meet your instructor, mm -hmm. never go to that campus. Yeah. How do you show that you've learned? Yeah. You know, how do you show that? And when learners, you know, may go to multiple institutions over the course of their their careers, mm -hmm. um, collect many uh, digital credentials, where do they store them? Mm -hmm. You know, what if a device dies? Do you mm -hmm. lose all your micro credentials mm -hmm. then? Um, so this is looking forward to inform future policy for this uh digital badging and micro credential space mm -hmm. um the uh the idea of showing the credential i saw that in in the report um that that some people pushed back a little bit on on this and said well why do i really need to show this who do i need to show this to i think there was there was a number in there that was like you know one third of respondents uh indicated that they ever had to show like their bachelor's to anybody kind of thing. Right. So, you know, when we asked learners if they think in the future, will they have to show mm. digital credentials for employment or for obtaining mm -hmm. further education? 90% yeah. of them actually thought they will have to at some point in the future. Huh. But, you know, at present, the majority haven't had to show any educational mm -hmm. um, paraphernalia to get employment the only real case where they've had to show proof of 
this was, you know, to enroll in further programs. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the pains associated with that, you know, yeah. if you have attended multiple institutions mm -hmm. that in my case, that would be three transcripts yep. at, you know, yep, roughly yeah. $50 a pop. Yep. So yeah. $150 oh plus <laughs> about a license to print mail. money. <laughs> um, you know, that's a real barrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw that actually in uh, in, in in there. Yeah, the um, and I was thinking about you know my and 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 you know you know sometimes in in full transparency, um, it's a uh, last minute. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know, it's applying last... for a position uh, and uh, the transcripts need to come very quickly. <laughs> exactly, it's that yeah. last minute draw, and you don't have yeah. that two to four week waiting period yeah. to get the snail mail. Yeah. Um, and ultimately you don't own your data at that point, right? Mm -hmm. If you have all these digital badges around yourself, you know, they are in your possession. You don't have to seek them out from somebody. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that became one of the interesting uh, areas we explored as well with learners. Mm. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think your point around um, the other thing that I, I notice is, uh, is also that, um, understandably it makes sense right like the micro credentials some of them as you mentioned might be just from a day or two or a couple of weeks and so um I, even myself i look at my linkedin profile and like oh they're starting to get this kind of like cluttered feeling like like i i have a a lot of these things and i'm assuming i'm just going to get more and more and more of them and so um it feels like there's a need for for managing the the mess of all of those credentials as well and you raised an interesting point too, is, you know, a lot of learners do say that they put them on their LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is a private company. And mm. what happens if, you know, they all of a sudden pull the ability to import digital badges to your profile, mm. you know, in favor of them just having the LinkedIn learning assessments visible mm. on your profile, mm -hmm. then your digital badges could straight up just disappear. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. That, um, I saw some notes in there about that sort of, there's, uh, some anxiety or some apprehension around that, the, the control of that, uh, digital information around those credentials who owns the, the property ultimately, um, and, and the, and the ability to sort of, uh, you're right, just kind of like take it away. And, you know, in some ways I think that, um, learners don't even know the full extent of their digital badges in many yes. cases. Yeah. Um, that when I ask them, you know, how do you import them to LinkedIn? They just manually input it. They don't mm. take the badge from a website right. and import it that way, like mm -hmm. from a, a, a wallet system and import it. They're just manually inputting it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's not a verifiable document. That's, you know, there's nothing stopping you from saying you went to Harvard on LinkedIn. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, th so there's something very valuable to the verifiable uh, virtual badging. Yeah. I, I saw that there were some notes there that um, people, I, I wrote the quote down be, uh, because I, I've taken a course on Coursera and I'm currently uh, taking um, a program, uh, CS50, uh, which was designed by Harvard and is part of the edX platform. Um, and so technically the, um, the granting agency will be Harvard X, uh, as opposed to, uh, Harvard. And I noticed in there, there's some notes or some sentiment around, you know, it's not just, um, 
for me to be able to prove my credential, but it's also to sort of act as like a surveillance system to sort of say like, you know, you, it doesn't, that there's a sentiment that it it's not right for someone to say, you know, that audited a Coursera course, and then to say that they attended Harvard. Right. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is what badge, the information badges can contain right can be really cool yes you know, a yeah, badge yeah. can include the work you did like the assessed work that mm -hmm. you did to complete and in reality you can actually continue to add to it so mm -hmm. you know if you took a course on um hockey management and then you went and worked in the hockey industry and produced some sort of report to go with that you could then add that to your badge to continue showing um the learning outcomes from mm -hmm. that um yeah. Industry endorsements are another thing that can appear there as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which governing bodies or which companies or which institutions um, say that this is a great course of learning. Um, so it's all this information that can be stored within a badge mm. um, is lost when it's not imported properly as well. Mm -hmm. And um, the it seemed like what I got out of the report was that a lot of the learners didn't really um, didn't really understand the, the tech and the po possibilities of the tech. Um, and it seemed like what they wanted was just to, you know, open their Apple wallet or, or show a blue check mark like you have on Twitter uh, as uh, as a validation. But they don't necessarily understand all of the nuances and all of the complexities that we've been sort of teasing out here, all of the different um, actors that may play a role in this, you know, this, this system. Exactly. There's a section in the report where I talk about the security needs um, mm -hmm. and what um, would make uh, learners feel more secure storing uh, their credentials in a virtual wallet. And one of the things I asked them about was, do you think blockchain needs to mm -hmm. be used? Yes. And one of the standout quotes was, that sounds like cryptocurrency. Yeah, I, saw I don't that. like it. Um, <laughs> I saw that, and, yeah. you know, th I think that demonstrates that there is this gap of understanding mm. um, on some of this technology. And they're really looking for a simple way. But even, you know, as I mentioned in the report with Apple Walleting, one, or like using an Apple Wallet, one learner, you know, said something like, I don't want to show my micro credential when I go to buy bananas. You know, mm, you don't want yeah. to accidentally pull up the yeah, wrong right. thing on your phone. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's definitely um one of the barriers as mm -hmm. well. So maybe maybe they would like maybe what they're pointing to is something that's as simple and easy to use as Apple Wallet, but maybe not necessarily in specifically inside Apple Wallet. So well, and we asked about Apple Wallet specifically because yeah. we were trying to see how they already use virtual wallets. Mm -hmm. uh, and Apple Wallet really is the universally used uh, wallet um, mm -hmm. from what we found. And, you know, they're storing anything in there from credit cards to mm -hmm. membership cards. Um, and it's useful because it's all kept in that one place until right. you need it. Yeah. When we think of educational credentials, they can be skewed right across the internet. You know, yeah. you don't remember your uh, student number or mm -hmm. your coded uh, institutional email name. Mm -hmm. How do you access that information? 
And so I think the question that really emerged was that universality is important, that yeah. you know, learners from all institutions want to store and display credentials in the same way to bolster their use outside of the academic space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems um, like uh, one of the things I, I kind of pulled out of there is uh, what we're talking about really is marketing and branding, like personal branding and, and how this how this intersects with that. But I, I think in that, a risk also emerges that, yeah. you know, there's a lack in public awareness of, and understanding for that matter, of both digital wallets or digital credentialing and virtual wallets. Mm. And I think that's definitely a barrier that needs to be overcome. Mm. And what um, is that again? Like the the technical constraints? Is it is it the practical limitations or applications? Like, I I honestly think it's both. Yeah. Um, one of the sentiments that was echoed uh, time and time again by learners was, "Do employers know what a micro credential is? Do mm -hmm. they value it as much as a traditional degree or mm. a certificate? Mm -hmm. um, how do they ask to see it? That's the other thing." Mm, yeah. And, and, um, and how much I, I know that there was, uh, I think there was some, some questions you asked around control about how much to show and the ability to elect to show certain things. Like, does this mean that my employer is going to see my score on like participation in a course? Like, exactly. You and know, they're was... going to, are they going to see that I, I wasn't there on Tuesday, March 7th, 2022, and now I've got to ask, answer in an interview, like, why were you, why weren't you in class that day? <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, as the report points out, uh, learners don't want to share their grades, mm. um, you know, and I, grades really became struck a nerve with learners as something okay. that was very personal, Interesting. um, that, you know, maybe they've developed as a learner or they've come back more mature and now do better as a student. But mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily something they were comfortable sharing with employers, for example, but they were okay sharing with an educational institution. Mm. Um, so that's something that I thought was interesting that the report draws out a little huh. bit. Uh, there's a thread in here around integrity. And, and it feels like that's part of a much larger conversation. Um, and maybe that's that's something that you're encountering more broadly at at eCampus as you look to, you know, modernize education, right? And 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 use these uh, advancements. And especially, gosh, now with like intelligent tutors powered by AI in the pipeline, you know, what does that mean for, you know, what's my education worth? Like at, you know, at, at one point it was kind of like very simple. You, you had a couple of metrics. One was um, the level of your credentialing. So, um, you know, bachelor's, uh, diploma, master's, PhD, whatever, whatever it is that you've got. And then obviously the institution that is, is issuing that, uh, that credential. Um, and now with the rise of micro credentials and all of these alternative sort of ways of getting these credentials, um, it, it, do you, do you feel like there's, um, concern around the, the quality, the integrity of, of these alternative ways of learning? Like, are they going to hold as much, uh, water as, as traditional ways? You know, I think micro credentials are here to stay and will continue mm. to grow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's an investment in PSE innovation 
to increase participation and um, ultimately create prosperity for Ontario learners and communities. And what's really happening is as technology becomes more and more important in various roles across many sectors, something like micro-credentialing is required to continue to upgrade and reskill mm -hmm. throughout one's career. Mm -hmm. You know, I think gone are the days where one, you know, finishes a bachelor's degree and that is mm. done, yeah. you are done your education. You need to constantly be learning, upgrading and reskilling to keep up with technology and to mm. keep up and to continue pushing our economy forward. Uh -huh. um, so, I think it is a very important space um, that's continuing to evolve in post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I really think that it's Ontario's um, post-secondary institutions that play the correct role in um, holding these courses, teaching these courses, and pushing these skills out into the sector. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's also interesting from a from a sort of geography perspective as well, right? I mean, you know, I think I think this conversation maybe could could sort of start uh, with uh, you know the that archetype of the of the doctor that drives a taxi in Toronto, you know, that started years ago, it was sort of like these uh, credentials from uh, places that are not known or not familiar. Um, and uh, and the value that's placed upon them, or the ability to place a value upon them, uh, you know. And and now we have now we have like it's not just that I have all of these different institutions that I'm taking credentials from, but they're institutions from anywhere and everywhere around the world, right? So, you know, what uh, what opportunities might there be to use the tech to sort of help that um, help help people to uh, uh, see the the value of those credentials, not just what they're called, right? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, we, over research, encountered a learner in Southeast Asia who was taking Ontario micro-credentials, okay. planning to come to Ontario okay. um, in the future, and was using those micro-credentials to um, have a bit of an advanced standing at that mm. institution when they mm. arrived. And I thought that was a very yeah. cool use case of a micro-credential and how a virtual wallet could be useful for a learner like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, you know, I also recently wrote a thought piece um, on eCampus Ontario's blog that was about um, ultimately how could something like blockchain and uh, virtual walleting mitigate some of the risks that our international learners are facing, especially that's very popular mm -hmm. in the news right now when yep. we're seeing things like um, all these learners being charged with immigration fraud because they were ultimately given fraudulent yeah, letters. Yes, so, yes, yeah, you know, yeah. if that letter was held in a, you know, secure virtual wallet with end-to-end -end encryption so you can tell it's mm -hmm. legitimate from an institution, mm -hmm. yeah. that would have protected those learners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, I think this is, this is a, you know, while the focus of this research was on micro-credentials, I think there's wider applications across post-secondary for things like letters of enrollment, mm. um, verification of student status, uh, mm. your final uh, certificate, degree, diploma, uh, transcripts, um, maybe even your student card someday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, um, 
that uh, yeah, the, I, we're, I, we have a very large uh, international population at St. Lawrence College, like tremendous. And, uh, and um, I see all of these uh, credentials, actually, that a lot of them come with. They're not necessarily here for their uh, their first uh, degree or their first diploma. I and mean, some of them have uh, actually I, I, some of them have computer science degrees already. Um, uh, I have a, f- a fellow that uh, has an MBA already uh, from overseas, and um, the uh, the ability to uh, to be able to, um, I guess, bring bring those credentials into the same space, the same um, so that they're they're not so uh, foreign, they're not not so alien, they're not so you know um, strange, uh, I guess. And this was one of the features we actually discussed with learners was something about like, can international um, certificates and, you know, educational paraphernalia be held in the same space as your Ontario? And that's something they wanted. Mm. Uh, What about like automatic translation within a virtual wallet? So Mm -hmm. if you're applying for a job abroad, can it be translated into that language or can Mm -hmm. it be translated in English or French to be understood uh, within Canada. Mm. Um, and that was a feature that quite a few of our learners uh, were definitely interested in. Um, you know, I think in a post-pandemic era, especially where a digital nomad um, and the ability uh-huh. to work from anywhere um, has become appealing, uh, that's also another use case for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I've been floating around this idea, you know, and and actually, as I was talking about it uh, just yesterday, I realized that I'm in a case for it. But I, I was thinking, you know, traditionally, you know, you go to one institution and you study only with the professors, only with the le- only in the lectures of that one institution, and then that one institution says you have now qualified for a bachelor's. Let's say, yeah. right? Um, and I was thinking, you know, geez, like what if there's a, a path that's different? Because I have a very um, different path through my education. You know, I started as a, I took one night course at Ryerson um, where, you know, you just had to have the money basically <laughs> to to take the course because uh, full-time enrollment just wasn't a thing for me at that time in my life. Um, and eventually I ported all of those credits, uh, at Ryerson to Queens and, and got credit for them. Um, but, uh, you know, we, what if, what about the possibility or the potential then of, of sort of loosening that out even further? What if there's some kind of governing body that could say, okay, you know, you've taken these, this, just like a, just like a university or college would do to say, like, these are the things that we're looking for. And when you check these boxes, we'll say that you've completed your journey towards a bachelor's degree. Um, what about the potential for, for students then to have that sort of mobile, that nomad, uh, experience? your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, you know, I can take, you know, the, I can take lectures with, uh, professors from different universities that may actually make my um, value e- even higher because of that diversity of of, of, uh, of uh, institutions. And that's kind of actually what I did, right? Like I went to one institution and finished at a second, right? Um, so I think it opens up a, a lot of uh, possibilities for reimagining uh, this whole idea of credentialing and what that means and how we get there. 
and the the choose your own adventure is definitely something um, I'd like to point out to uh, your listeners is featured in one of our foresight reports um, at eCampus Ontario. Okay. So if you head on to, I belong to the research and foresight unit. So okay. um, part of our unit's work is um, conducting research papers such as the wallets, passports, portfolios, mm-hmm. credentials paper, mm-hmm. but also uh, foresight uh, papers, which um, present, you know, both the tools and methodologies for you to conduct your own research, as well as presenting some signals and trends that we see emerging um, in the post-secondary space, mm. um, which uh, now if you go to ecampusontario.ca, there's actually a foresight page, which will okay. link you to all these kinds of reports as well. Right, right. We'll make sure to put those in the show notes so that people can get to them. Um, so uh, what's... Um... Do you, where do you uh, where do you see things going in the next uh, the next couple of years? Where where do you what do you plan to do next? Do you have a do you have a plan yet um, about you know where you want to look next? Um, what uh, what other questions have, have have sort of come up that you find interesting? I think that's one of the the unique spaces of working in research and foresight is that, you know, we get to look at post-secondary education from so many different angles uh, mm. that, especially in our foresight capacity, looking at emerging signals and the amount of signals that are emerging every single day <laughs> is, is almost uh, infinite. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I definitely foresee that we are moving towards um, a more digital um, post-secondary environment. You know, will it be completely digital by design teaching and learning? Will it be hybrid? Will it be, you know, o- online only? Hard to say. But I think, you know, we're moving towards a unique period in post-secondary mm-hmm. where there are are so many things changing. If we think back to the, you know, it, in 2020, it was an emergency transition to yes. yeah. online learning. And I think now that that dust has settled, we can move towards it through a digital by design lens. Yeah. And we can learn from the lessons of the pandemic and move forward mm-hmm. to this digital learning environment. So um, b- before we go then, because um, we, we've been... Yeah, you know, eCampus Ontario is doing a lot, and nice. we've kind of had this very narrow focus for our talk um, because of the nature of the show. I'm, I'm more focused on on certain topics, but um, can you uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, more broadly what the what's happening at eCampus Ontario, what it's creating, what the opportunities are? There's a lot going on. Um, so, out of my team alone, uh, we have a whole bunch of um, foresight reports coming out in the next year uh, that will be more tool-based uh, for um, end users to ultimately explore foresight themselves. Uh, there will be, uh, there's a, a digital transformation leadership course uh, that's coming out of our team as well to encourage um, post-secondary leadership to participate in this digital transformation process and ultimately become champions um of this on the research end i'm working on a ton of projects uh right now (laughs) that we can't quite get into um but there's a lot going on um that will ultimately showcase ecampus's space as a global leader of digital by design teaching and learning 
um, and purposely pursuing the development and adaptation of technologies. Um, there's very exciting things going on in our sandbox as well. Um, there are so many teams and programs coming out of mm. eCampus. I encourage everybody, go to the eCampusOntario.ca website. You'll be able to explore something uh, that interests <laughs> you, especially in the post-secondary sector. Yeah, I think it's great. It's a great um it's a great uh, consortium as as you called it at the start and I'm really um pleased that uh, my college is a part of that consortium. Um I I guess the the uh the long and the short of all of this is that uh if people are wondering about the role of the digital in education, it's not going away. It's not going away. It's here to stay and it's here to continue evolving. Um you know, to advance participation in post-secondary education, um, you know, opening up that space to more people. Um, this has been a fantastic talk, Alex. Uh, one, one more thing before you go, uh, tell us your, your, uh, your, 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 your ideal pizza. Always is a Hawaiian pizza because that is the most hey! Canadian style of pizza you can have. <laughs> I just had all these flashes of pizza, pizza commercials from my childhood <laughs> pop up. <laughs> That's so great. Thanks so much for your time today, Alex. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care.